0: Historian, entrepreneur, and author, Itai Tenenbaum, is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. Welcome to the Inside Israel podcast. This episode is called the Shin Bet, an acronym in Hebrew meaning Shirote Bittachon or Shirotei Bittachon Klali, which means General Security Services. A new head of the Shin Bet has been appointed and will take over in a couple weeks early November, providing he is approved by the Ethics Committee. He is only known to the public as R, the first letter of his first name. His full identity will be revealed in the near future. In any case, R will have a lot of issues to deal with. And before I tell you about them, I'd like to share a story that I experienced firsthand. Well, almost firsthand. That to me encapsulates the great work of the Shin Bet. Years ago, after I was discharged from my regular army service, I was traveling in Europe. Towards the end of my trip, I actually was in London, and I was pulling up to the Heathrow Airport to catch a flight back home. Traffic was unusually heavy. Actually, there was a standstill for a long while. The bus I was on stood still at the entrance to the airport. We stood there for what seemed like hours. Inside the airport, the drama was unfolding. A 32-year-old Irish woman named Anne-Marie Murphy, in her six month of pregnancy, arrived at the check-in area of El Al. She was destined to fly on flight number 016, Originating from New York, that had stopped for a layover in London Heathrow Airport before a final leg to Israel. At the check in, Anne Marie was asked the basic questions Did you pack your bags yourself? They didn't want to give you anything to carry. To all of which, she answered correctly, and she was calm and collect. When asked where she'll be staying in Israel, she replied The Hilton Hotel in Bethlehem. But there is no Hilton Hotel in Bethlehem. And so the LL security took more notice of her, as is a woman or a man traveling alone is more suspicious to security. Anne-Marie had a very small amount of cash and a credit card that wasn't usable in Israel. Her bags had already been scanned and cleared by the Heathrow security, but the Israeli security felt something was off, so they proceeded to open her bags. Within moments, they discovered explosives hidden in a paper bag that were set on an automatic timer to explode mid-air on the El Al airplane in an attempt to kill... Almost 400 passengers. Anne-Marie had no idea she was carrying a bomb. Turns out that Anne-Marie had a Jordanian boyfriend named Nazir Hindawi. When she got pregnant by him, he left her. Nice guy, right? But then he returned and asked for her hand in marriage. Beautiful, right? He offered to have the wedding in the West Bank in Bethlehem. He told her to fly ahead of him. He had some last-minute business and he'll join her later. He proceeded to give her a piece of luggage and asked her not to say anything to security since she'll get in trouble. She was naive and probably very much in love. Imagine her shock when she discovered at the airport that her love was sending her, her unborn baby, all the passengers, and the air crew to their death. Hindawi was arrested by British security and his questioning he revealed it was Syrian intelligence that planned the attempted ghastly terror act. Shimon Peres, the Israeli prime minister at the time, said that security officers' actions had prevented a full-blown war between Israel and Syria. The security officers were trained and worked for the Shin Bet. That day, they saved hundreds of lives and perhaps thousands, if indeed a war with Syria, had taken place. Years later, in 2021, the same type of challenges faced the Shin Bet and much more. Now there are also cyber threats. For example, recently Iranian hackers, no doubt Iranian government hackers, attempted to infiltrate the Israeli water company and tamper with the water. Perhaps even poison the Israeli drinking water. So now I want to take a deeper look at the tasks of the Shin Bet. So there are many tasks, but the four major ones are as follows. First of all, weeding out espionage. In other words, revealing spies of foreign countries or foreign organizations. Secondly, counterterrorism. Foiling any kind of terror plot or terror attack on Israel. Third, foiling plots against the state of Israel in political subversion, or in other words, preventing the undermining of the power and authority of the Israeli-established system or institutions. And fourth, the responsibility for securing the essential institutions and facilities in Israel, like protecting the prime minister and others, and on missions abroad, such as defending and protecting embassies and other institutions. After the Six-Day War in 1967, the Shin Bet was given more tasks since Israel took hold of the West Bank, Gaza, and the Golan Heights. Their goal was, and still is, to prevent hostile terrorist activities. Following the hijacking of an El Al airplane to Algeria in 1968, and afterwards the murder of 11 Israeli athletes in Munich in 1972, the Shin Bet was also tasked with setting up a worldwide security system to protect Israeli targets from terrorism. Like the one I spoke about, at Heathrow. Now, there are many success stories. The Shin Bet infiltrates some of the most radical Palestinian terror groups, as well as many other Arab and non-Arab terror organizations. But they also safeguard Israel from radical Jewish organizations. Tens of thousands of operations have saved Israel and Israelis. This happens literally on a daily basis the overwhelming number of operations have remained a secret. Some are no longer under censorship and known to the public, and it is worth mentioning them, like the capture of Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann was one of the main Nazi officers responsible for the mass murder of 6 million Jews during World War II. Though many of the architects of the Holocaust were arrested, tried at Nuremberg, and executed or given long jail sentences, Eichmann escaped justice. He was captured by the Americans as the war ended, but escaped, reached Italy, where he was aided by Catholic priests and bishops with pro-Nazi sympathies, and reached Buenos Aires, Argentina in 1950. Now, this story gets really interesting. And as always, among many intelligence organizations, you get lucky sometimes. So there was a woman named Sylvia who dated a man in Argentina named Nick. Sylvia and Nick dated for a short while. But on one of the dates, Nick was invited over to Sylvia's for dinner. He sat down to dinner with Sylvia and her blind father named Luther Hermann. During the entire dinner, Nick could not stop talking about World War II, about his father, whom Nick claimed was very high up in the Wehrmacht. Nick also spoke of the failure of the Nazi Party to exterminate the entire European Jewry. A couple weeks later, Luther Hermann sat Sylvia down and told her that he could not keep his secret any longer. He said, Sylvia, I am Jewish. The reason I'm blind is because the Gestapo tortured me and blinded me in a camp called Dachau. He continued, The boy you brought over, Nick, I strongly believe, is the son of the mass murderer Adolf Eichmann. Sylvia had informed her father that she was so appalled by Nick's words at dinner that she broke up with him, and she doesn't know where he lives. But she was determined to find out. Within a short time, Sylvia found the house and courageously walked right up to it, knocked on the door. The door was opened by an older man. Sylvia smiled and said, you must be Nick's father. To which he replied, no, I am his uncle. My name is Ricardo Clement. He continued, Nick's not here, but you're welcome to come in. Within a short while, Nick actually did show up and they sat down for dinner. At one point during dinner, Nick turned to his supposedly uncle named Ricardo Clement and said the word father. Wisely, Sylvia did not react. but. She knew she had him. Sylvia returned home and told her father. Her father contacted a Jewish-German prosecutor, who in turn tip off the Israeli Mossad. The Israeli government made the decision to bring Eichmann to Israel to stay on trial. Since Israel and Argentina had no formal relations at the time, and Argentina was not expected to cooperate with Israel, and also any kind of leakage of information... About Eichmann would send him on the run. Israel decided to conduct a secret operation to abduct Eichmann, fly him to Israel, and again, have him stand trial. The majority of the crews that gathered the intel and abducted Eichmann were made up of Shenbet operatives. Eichmann was caught, brought to Israel, stood trial, and thus far has been the only person to be executed by the Israeli legal system. An entirely different example of the Shenbet's work has to do with anti-terror actions. The Israel Defense Forces has special units that on a daily basis reach terrorists in the West Bank, Gaza, and sometimes within Israel proper, usually before the terror activists leave their home. The intelligence information is gathered and given to these IDF units by the Shin Bet. The Shin Bet has also uncovered Jewish terror cells. One of them attempted to blow up the Dome of the Rock, the third holiest site to the Muslims. This surely would have led to a large-scale war With the Arab world. In April of 1984, after a lengthy intelligence effort, the Shin Bet uncovered a Jewish terrorist organization known as the Jewish Underground. It was the same organization that carried out attacks on Palestinian mayors, maiming and killing them in June of 1980. Those that struck the mayors and those that planned to blow up the Dome of the Rock were exposed and were brought to justice. Most were convicted and sentenced to various prison terms, including life sentences. But the Shin Bet has also failed on different occasions. Like the inability to prevent suicide bombers during 2000 to 2004 terror campaign on Israel. They did stop them, but it took a long time and 1,000 Israeli deaths. Or like the inability to weed out an Israeli Jewish man named Mordechai Va'anunu who worked at Israel's nuclear facility in Dimona from taking photos and revealing Israel's nuclear secrets. Or the assassination of Israel's prime minister, Yitzhak Rabin, by a Jew. These are just a few examples, perhaps the most dangerous of failures was the abuse of credit and power that the Shin Bet was given by the State of Israel. Let me expand on that. In the spring of 1984, four Palestinian terrorists hijacked a public bus with 35 passengers. The bus route number was 300. Bus number 300 is well known to Israelis. The hijacked bus sped towards the Gaza Strip. The terrorists were armed with knives and claimed to have two suitcases With explosives. In the initial hijacking, the terrorists seriously injured one of the passengers, but also allowed a pregnant woman to get off in the middle of nowhere. The woman hitchhiked to a nearby gas station and alerted the security forces. The IDF quickly set up roadblocks, but the bus, driving at high speed, broke through. IDF units in pursuit were able to shoot out the tires, and the bus halted near the Gaza town of Dir el Balakh. In attempted negotiations, the terrorists demanded to release 500 prisoners as well as their own safe passage to Egypt. They threatened to blow up the bus, killing everyone on board. In the early hours of the morning, 12 hours after the hijacking, a special unit stormed the bus. They killed two of the terrorists and captured the other two. The suitcases had no explosives in them. A woman soldier, one of the passengers, was killed accidentally by the rescue force. The story until now was not the first of its kind. What happened next shook Israel to the core. Shenbat operatives took the two live terrorists to a nearby secluded field. They interrogated them to make sure no one else was involved and that the danger was really over. When asking what to do with them, after the interrogation, they were told, kill them. Yes, kill them. And that they did. The operatives smashed their skulls with an iron bar and stones. The news report the next day was that all four terrorists were killed during the storming of the bus. However, a newspaper photographer named Alex Liebach had snapped a photo of the two terrorists being led off the bus alive and well. The head of the Shin Bet, Avraham Shalom, realized that they were caught red-handed. He denied his operatives killed a terrorist. He claimed it was the IDF commander on the scene named Itzhak Mordechai that killed them. Basically, he fabricated a lie framing an innocent IDF general. Avraham Shalom, head of the Shin Bet, Weaved such a plot that it became believable, and the general, as well as 11 other soldiers, stood trial. Well, this didn't fly. Some good men in the Shin Bet, three to be exact, did the right thing and revealed the plot. Israelis were in a state of shock. We admired the Shin Bet for having safeguarded our state and lives, but we were not willing for them to be above the law. In their doing, they brought Israel democracy to a dangerous abyss and we were about to collapse into it. We didn't fall into the abyss, but we Israelis felt shaken by a metaphorical mega-earthquake. Avraham Shalom, head of the Shin Bet, and four other members resigned, but they never stood trial. They were pardoned by the President of Israel, putting the saga to rest. However, in the process of an investigation, method of tortures used by the Shin Bet were disclosed. This disclosure led to an uncovering of an additional horrific saga from a few years earlier, the case of an IDF officer who was sitting in jail for treason. His name was Izat Nafso. Izat had confessed to spying in favor of Syria. But he only confessed because he was tortured. He would have said anything to his interrogators in order to stop the torture. He was not a spy. Again, Israel's society was shaken to its core. No one was safe. The Shinbed had become so cocky and arrogant, they saw themselves above the law. This at Nafso torture case prompted a wide-scale investigation in the Judicial Committee, the Landau Committee, named after the head of it, Judge Landau. The committee dealt directly with the Shin Bet methods of torture and ill-treatment. The committee's report was submitted to the government. The committee's findings and recommendations were no less startling. It allowed for a form of torture. As a matter of fact, Israel is the only democracy that dealt with the issue of torture in its judicial system. The Landau Commission condemned torture but allowed for use of moderate physical and psychological pressure to secure confessions and obtain information. In addition, although the Israeli Penal Code prohibits the use of force or violence by a public official to obtain information, the Shin Bet chief is permitted by law to allow interrogators to employ quote-unquote special measures that exceed the use of moderate physical and psychological pressure when it is deemed necessary to obtain information that could potentially save Israeli lives in certain, once again, quote unquote, ticking bomb cases. Look, I'll admit to the following. I have three girls. If a terrorist is caught and knows who and where an additional terrorist is going to hurt my girls, screw him. He chose the wrong line of business to be in. And please don't be naive. All democracies that face terror use a form of torture. They just do it offshore, or they deny it. At least Israel, due to the trauma of bus number 300 in the NAFSA torture case, has decided to deal with the most difficult issue for democracy, putting individual human rights of terrorists on a scale versus saving the lives of innocent men, women, and children. But this does not allow for state institutions, as important as they may be, to be above the law. The Shin Bet today is monitored by democratic state institutions, and the strong belief is that cases of abuse of power and thinking they are above the law will not repeat. Now, don't take this as an excuse, but we Israelis live in the toughest neighborhood in the world. So I'd like to end this episode by asking you to do something. Google and listen to the Bob Dylan song called Neighborhood Bully. Yes, Neighborhood Bully. It is about Israel. Bob Dylan wrote it in the early 80s, and yes... Dylan encapsulates the situation Israel is in, the best I have ever heard. I'll read just two verses to give you an idea. The neighborhood bully, he just lives to survive. He's criticized and condemned for being alive. He's not supposed to fight back. He's supposed to have thick skin. He's supposed to lay down and die when his door is kicked in. He is the neighborhood bully. Well, the chances are against it and the odds are slim that he'll live by the rules that the world makes for him because there's a noose at his neck and a gun in his back, and a license to kill him is given out to every maniac. He's the neighborhood bully. So just two verses, Google listen to the rest of the song. In the case of Israel and the tough neighborhood in the Middle East, I'd rather be the bully. If you like Inside Israel, please share with others. You can access all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Google Podcasts, and also on our website, InsideIsrael.fm.